want to learn how to become a millionaire? Are you committed to having financial freedom? To learn the secrets to building and managing a million dollar business, whatever it takes? Because today the opportunities are greater than ever to achieve your goals. Welcome to How to Be a Millionaire. In this show, we are on a mission to educate and empower a thousand new millionaires over the next 10 years through our nonprofit foundation at millionairestraining.org and through our fast track implementation programs at millionairesacademy.com. I'm your host, Sydney O'Sullivan. Some call me the Millionaire's Mentor because I've been building million dollar businesses for over 20 years. And in this show, I interview other millionaires in my network and get them sharing their best advice to create your big vision, discover your life purpose and legacy, build your dream team, develop a millionaire mindset, scale your business, invest for success, and manage and share your wealth and prosperity over the long term. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. It's Sydney O'Sullivan. And today for our millionaires training, I have some awesome guests for you. Very, very good friend of mine, Carolyn C.J. Matthews and her partner, Robert Bernard. And these guys make it their specialty to help people grow their wealth and hang on to it. So welcome. Hi there. It is so good to be here. It really is. I'm very excited about this. Oh, look, I, this has been so much fun for me recording this uh, interview series because I get to the kind of amazing conversations that I have with my friends on a regular basis. Now we're being serious about it and we're sharing our knowledge with the world out there, right? Because we are sick of seeing people work really, really hard, create a whole bunch of knowledge and expertise, maybe monetize it usually end up making other people rich, but quite often because they make a few bad decisions with their wealth, they end up losing it all. And look, it's happened to me many times. I can't tell you how many millions I've made. And then from a few bad or uninformed decisions, you know, maybe, or misinformed decisions, I have then taken a big hit. You know, I've partnered with the wrong people, I've hired the wrong financial advisor, and you don't know what you don't know until you find out, right? It's so true. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. And that, you know, Robert and I um, designed yoursmartwealth.com specifically around that and specifically around our own experiences, just like yourself, that, you, you know, you're like, wow, that's a really expensive learning experience. You know, had I only known fill in the blank uh, that I would have been able to hang on to my 100,000 or my 300,000 or my 500,000. And um, yes, I get that life is, is learning experiences, but isn't it so much better for somebody else to kind of guide you through that and say, yes, that's a great choice or, you know, here are the things to be careful of. And um, we've actually came up with a, a whole thing that we talk about and we label it under the financial danger zone. And so we can talk about those financial danger zones that prevent you a lot of times from moving up the scale, like from up to six figures. And then once you get to six figures, up to seven figures, you know, like what are those things that hold you back or create long-term problems for you that just, you know, it, you know, money is like a compound effect. Like when you have some, you can make a lot more with it. It makes it easier. It's just that as you level up, what we have found is that you have to have a new set of knowledge. Yeah. yeah, we find that a lot of people are still getting middle class advice, even though they're moving up into the six and seven figures, like they still have the same CPA or the same attorneys 
right? And they're not really getting kind of what we call the secrets of the wealthy, which really know how to handle the, we call them the five financial predators. We don't, we don't hold back on, on how dangerous they are. Like sharks. Yeah, because um, CJ and I, we both have experienced the financial predators where they've come in and kind of wiped out our, our wealth and our, our gains and stuff. And, you know, we've just taken our last 20 years and basically taken all of our knowledge and all of our experiences and kind of put it into the, our program. And, and, you know, we just want to really want to help. We're just so committed to helping small business owners succeed and maintain their wealth and get the knowledge they need so they can play with the big boys. So that's our goal. That's who, that's what we're committed to. Yeah. And like gives part of that education is some simple vocabulary, like being an accredited investor. It's amazing to me how many people that we bump into that don't understand that when they become first, that they already are an accredited investor. And secondly, how they can use that to their advantage to create more money for themselves in sometimes I think safer yes. investments. And so one of the first steps is, you know, become an accredited investor here in the United States. And um, the other thing is, is, is just, what wait, you know what? Let's talk about the five danger zones. Okay. How do we do that? Wait, before you get started, <laughs> you, you get started on that, um, can I just add something to the accredited investor while you've opened up that uh, can of worms? So uh, in Australia, we have what's called the sophisticated investor, which is a similar level. And uh, I, I like it. I, think, I, I want to be a sophisticated investor. But one of the things I found was that uh, when I, once I started getting educated on investing was you need to know that when you, I don't know if it's the same here with a credit investor, but I think it is because I, I've been, I was in a lawsuit on an accredited investment um, as one of the plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit. But I think what people need to understand what rights they're giving up and also what benefit, you know, and is that a good exchange for risk benefit? Because what a lot of people don't realize is when you say, yes, I'm investing in this thing as an accredited or sophisticated investor, I waive a lot of my consumer rights. Is that true? They, they do consider that if, and there is basically a, a sophisticated investor here as well, and that's a little bit lower than an accredited investor. So they, they actually have those two things here. They do assume that you have financial knowledge, that you are, you know, you're going into the deal with eyes wide open, that you know what you're doing, right? And you've done some due diligence. Yes. Um, it's not like the stock market, which they allow everyone to invest in, right? You, have, you can have no financial knowledge and you can go invest in the stock market. Except for IPOs, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> That's where a credit investor comes yeah. in. So, but, um, but, you know, once it's on the stock exchange, it's open to everybody, right? And then there's, there's no, there's, um, you know, there's no way to sue that either, right? So you kind of don't have any rights there either. But as you move up the chain to sophisticated investor or a credit investor, it is true. They do assume that you have financial knowledge, that you invested with eyes wide open, that the, um, the private placement memorandum was full, you know, had full disclosure and stuff. Okay. Now, um, obviously, if the PPM, what we call the private placement memorandum, is not correct, then you might have, you know, you you would have a right to sue in that case, I believe. But um, or if they did something incorrectly against or different than the PPM for what you did. So, but like everything, even in the stock market, there's stuff going on. You're you're putting your money into a company where somebody else runs it all. Right. So there are ways to protect yourself as an accredited investor. That's one type of rule. It's different than the way you protect yourself when you're not accredited and you're investing in something like the stock market or something like that. Um, there's a big fallacy that the SEC comes in, rescues you, everything's good. Um, yes, the SEC does serve a purpose, but quite often you never get your money back, whether it was 
accredited or non-accredited in the stock market or not. So, um, you know, it's almost like having a nine to five job. Quite often we think we're safe by having a nine to five job, but many people experience layoffs or a change of the guard or things like that. So, so th there are risks on both sides. And I as long as you're educated- why we're here is that we want to we want to say to people look at this a whole other language and yeah and I do want to hear about your five you know your danger zones but uh, <laughs> and, five danger zones yeah the, the the thing was that I I guess we need to give people a little background and that is that we all came I don't know about you Robert but but CJ and I came from backgrounds where our parents were not wealthy and nobody taught us how to manage wealth right and right what made you guys decide to to start this business what 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 drove the, this passion? Well, so for me personally, um, about 20 or so years ago, my grandparents, my grandfather passed on and 14 years later, my grandmother passed on. But, it, but my grandfather came from the background, you know, the depression background where you worked for the same company, you saved your money, you saved your way to wealth. Unfortunately, that stopped working in about the 90s. The saving your way to wealth just, you know, you could get close, um, but usually you had to earn it and, and start investing it. But that's not what we were taught. In my case, what happened is my grand, we thought we were prepared. We thought that we had a good, really super good ideas on how to protect our wealth, how to use our wealth, things like that. You can really read the details um, in a, a, a chapter that I did in a best-selling book. Uh, however, we can make that available for your um, people here that um, for free, just, you know, we'll, and you can get the details of that. The short version of it was, was that I had to sell the family home so that we could pay the estate or the death taxes. None of the people who had advised us told us anything about that. They didn't prepare us for it, nothing. They, now we lived in San Francisco and it would probably be unusual um, that our two houses, which were considered middle-class for our area, anywhere else would have like bought a mansion. Um, but, the, but the IRS doesn't care. The IRS just wants you, you know, like, look, here's the value of what your, your family estate was you owe us money and you need to pay us taxes. Now, I could have put the taxes on, little did I know I had to sell the house. So bad advice and then more bad advice made me sell the house when I probably could have worked something out with the IRS with death taxes. But I didn't know that. And, and it was my middle class or lower middle class education about finances that put me in the bind and set me on a trajectory of trying to figure out like, wait a minute, what happened? And how come the rich don't have that? How come the wealthy don't seem to have that problem? And so um, I've learned over the years and it's, it's fascinating because it's kind of also a moving target. So what happens is you may learn something and make a plan for that, but you need to really keep in touch with your advisors, assuming you have the right one, so that as changes come down, like we just had a presidential election in this case recently, okay, how's that going to change our tax code? And that's really big. So that's how I ended up, because I basically almost lost everything because of that, because of death taxes. You, babe. Um, well, first off, I just want to put the point of that we really believe that your money should be your business. 
right? Yeah. That you should really, um, and we, we've learned this the hard way, that your money needs to be your business and you need to understand what you're investing in. Um, you know, so that, I just want to put that in first. It's like a real job. Yeah, it's money is your real job. Like that's a job. That's yeah. a that's a business. Your money is one of the businesses that you run. You may be a chiropractor, you may be an author, you may be a speaker, but the truth of the matter is, is that your money is your real business. It's like a farm. Yep. Right. Yeah. So uh, my background is that actually my great grandfather was really pretty wealthy in his time. Um, he actually had the first all electric house in the United States. And um, so I actually came from money. I saw that with my great grandmother and where she lived and how she lived. And then my grandfather kind of like, you know, uh, <laughs> it went away with him. Let's put it that way. And my dad's like, oh, you need to go get a you, go to, you need to go to college. You need to get a safe job and all this stuff. And so within just a couple of generations. Right. Like it had gone from being fairly wealthy, where we were probably set up as a as a family to sort, you know, to do pretty well, to almost nothing. And then I, I, as I say, I was smart enough to be a rocket scientist, but stupid enough to be an engineer, is my is my life saying. I was at a Cessna Aircraft Company, and I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I just realized one day I couldn't I couldn't be an employee anymore. I was really destined to be an entrepreneur, and. Um, and that's kind of how I got started in this. And then I got into real estate uh, and um, helped about 100 families go through foreclosure and really kind of had all that going. But I got bad legal advice and the 24 houses that I'd taken over just disappeared and all that income with it, you know, went away as well. So um, I think it's really, I mean, look, I grew up in San Francisco, a very hip area, but not rich at all. My, you know, my mother was a teacher. We lived in apartments, you know, things like that. And, um, but Robert was raised kind of on the opposite end, but what was fascinating is that all the other people around him were, were wealthier. So this is sort of a mindset issue that I think a lot of people need to understand. He never, his, he never considered himself well off because the other people around him were multi, multi, multi-millionaires yes. instead of just being multi-millionaires. But if you hear his story, it's like, oh, we flew our plane to go skiing for the weekend, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, our vacation home, you know, oh, we went to Europe, you know, things like that, that, that most middle-class people don't experience. Now travel, when we were young, travel was a little more um, uh, challenging, right? Yeah. Nowadays, it's like people get on a plane like it's a bus. But for him to be raised that way, you had to have money. You know, they had two planes in the family. So, um, so I just find it fascinating when he tells me his story of his perception and I tell my story of my perception. And then we talk to other people where they're like, well, hire, buddy. Yeah, I did, yeah, I did okay, I, but none of that was passed down. I exactly. agree, I so agree that the the, who you're raised with, how you're raised yeah. with really affect your, your mental state and you know, your whole relationship with money, right? Yes, um, exactly. I grew, I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, my parents were, um, my, my stepfather was very, my, my dad actually was an entrepreneur and he'd left when I was young. So I didn't know him until later in life, but he would take over companies for a dollar. He'd get paid a dollar a year and he would turn these companies around and he became a multimillionaire, but I wasn't raised with him. So I got yeah. some exposure to him later in life. Unfortunately, not, I didn't get to spend enough time with him to really learn his skills, but I must've inherited some of his, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, you know, through yeah. the DNA and I agree with you. My father was a total entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. And my stepfather who raised me uh, was a very high up in the Hong Kong government. So he, we had a kind of a government 
elite government lifestyle, but we were a bit cash poor, but we were, I went to school with kids who were the product of, you know, very successful expats that were brought over to run huge companies and banks and stuff like that. And so I had a, an exposure to a lot of wealth and a lot of entrepreneurialism at a young age. So when I met my husband and he, uh, he was open to us being entrepreneurial. He had, a, he had the, his father was a doctor. So he was one of the highest achieving people in his family, but it'd come from a very poor background. We, be, we started a business together and we, and we bought and sold businesses, flipped them, ended up building this business, which we did IPO on the stock market and became very wealthy. And since then, we've gone on to create lots of other businesses together and separately. But what's been interesting is seeing how our children have, you know, because they've been raised with wealth, they have a completely different mindset around money, right? But right. it was very challenging when we were initially raising them because we didn't have any skills to know, you know, we, we were the first people in our, in our family that we knew of, as I said, my father was doing it, but I didn't really have a relationship with him, but to actually have to deal with things like, um, what, where do you say no to your kids? You know, like, do you, do you buy them everything they want? Probably not a good idea, but we don't know because we've never had any experience with this. We were raised right. with and a lot of our experience was we can't afford that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. It was like not in the budget. Well, even, when you don't have a budget, then what's what's the conversation, right? Yeah, and even when the kids were little, we were still we were raising all that. We were actually putting all everything we made back into our businesses, and it wasn't until the kids were probably six or seven that we we IPO'd and were able to cash out. You know, we were constantly reinvesting, so we really couldn't afford stuff. You know, we couldn't. We could kids couldn't have anything they wanted at any time. Um, but the, and, and then there was that whole transition um, into, you know, teaching them how to manage money, which I'm not sure that we've done, but luckily my, my daughter is doing okay, but the, she's very good with money, unfortunately. Um, and my son is still just starting working and stuff. So we don't know, we'll see, but he's very smart. So hopefully he'll be okay. But anyway, the, the point is that you have this whole education thing of not knowing it. And we had a similar situation to you, Carolyn, in that, um, we, we gifted a lot of people. When we IPO'd our company, we gifted some shares to the people that had helped us along the way in our family. And then we got hit with this huge tax bill because we didn't realize that it's called a thin air tax, you know. In, in yeah, phantom. Yeah, because uh, we, it was as if we had sold those shares. So with this huge tax bill that we had to pay and we didn't have the cash to pay it, right? So, yep. you know, these things can happen. Um, we had to enter into a, a payment agreement, you know, with the, the tax office. So. Yes, these things can happen when you when you don't have the knowledge that the wealthy have and the right advisors. Hi, this is Sydney, and thanks for listening to the show today. If you liked today's episode, please let us know. Hit the subscribe button so you can get updates on our new episodes. Leave us a comment or review. We love all of your feedback. Share the show with your friends, and most importantly, come introduce yourself at our free online community at millionairestraining.org.